the medicine, I'm on a pavement, thinking about the government. The man in a trench coat, batch out, laid off, says he's got a bad cough, wants to get it paid off. Look out, kid, it's something you did. God knows when, but you're doing it again. You better duck down the alleyway, looking for a new friend. The man in a coonskin cap in a pig pen wants $11 bills. Welcome, this is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 113 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is on managing conflicts of interests risks. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me today on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Before we get started, two points. First, please subscribe to our podcast and give the podcast a five-star rating. Second, the Volkoff Law Group offers legal and compliance services. We have extensive experience in design and implementation of compliance programs, and specifically with conflicts of interests, policies, procedures, related controls, and training materials. If interested in discussing our services, please contact me at mvolkoff at volkofflaw.com. Well, good day to everybody. Um, we're going to go over what I think is a, is a difficult issue uh, for compliance officers because usually uh, compliance is given the assignment of dealing with conflicts of interest. And uh, while there are sort of operational difficulties in managing it within the company, probably the hardest uh, issues come up in the context of board relationships uh, and managing board risks or senior management uh, risks, particularly in today's world where board members, senior managers seem to have a lot of sort of contacts across industries, which, uh, you know, enables or creates certain conflicts of interest. So Anyways, um, but I want to address both sort of um, contexts. One is the operational within the company and employees, and two, uh, sort of the higher level employees, uh, managers, and and board members, and how you deal with that. So let's start first with the the beginning, uh, and that is, you know, what are we talking about with conflicts of interest? Uh, Obviously, directors, officers, employees uh, have personal or outside business interests, which may or uh, interfere with uh, or influence uh, and interfere with the duty of loyalty to an organization. Um, When an individual's business interests conflict with those of a customer, um, there also may be be business interests that conflict with those of uh, the business itself uh, in terms of uh, operating uh, fairly and independently and objectively. Your duty of loyalty is basically to exercise independent and objective judgments when carrying out uh, responsibilities. And obviously, we know the threats and the impact of this is that when we impact an ability of somebody to act with, you know, impartiality, objectivity, independence, um, we end up with situations with divided loyalties. Um, these can have significant influence or significant impacts on fiduciary and professional uh, duties and interests, as well as uh, personal interests, obviously, um, and conflict with your personal interests. So the remedy in general is thought, uh, at least at the operational level or the, you know, what I would call the employee level, is somehow that disclosure is going to mitigate the problem. In other words, you disclose and then you make your decision where you take your action, and therefore uh, we can assume it's conflict-free. 
there still are, uh, there's still a body of sort of thought around this, that disclosure is just a mere first step, and that there's still biases that enter into decision making, even when it is disclosed. But disclosure at least gives those uh, surrounding or responsible for mitigating the risk to put in place controls and to sort of verify uh, the objectivity and ensure that there is no appearance or actual uh, influence that the uh, outside interest may have on the objectivity of the particular actor within the company. Um, you know, we do get into situations, for example, disclosure can help in setting up, obviously, controls and recusals and, you know, Chinese walls, whatever you want to call it, in terms of getting people to not be involved in certain situations where the appearance or actual conflict may be too great um, that it can't be controlled. It's a challenging area of compliance, this whole area of conflicts, uh, and I, I've mentioned the compliance function often owns the issues. Um, the issues are not easy to define. They don't always fit into a nice category. Um, and there has to be some careful and consistent judgment. Um, I do like the idea of having some kind of committee uh, to sort of take some of the burden off the shoulders of the uh, compliance department to make sure that uh, there can be sort of consistency and support. I look for support for the compliance function because a lot of times they have to have difficult conversations with senior managers or board members. So uh, it's, it's nice to do that. Um, it's also, let's be realistic here about the ability to manage all these risks if part of it depends upon disclosures. You may have people who are just bad actors or who just aren't going to disclose the conflict, and you obviously may not know about it unless there's some other way that you find out. The problem that I have is that we have no real mechanism or people aren't spending, uh, we don't have the time or the resources to really dig in to verify that the absence of certain conflicts if we don't get a disclosure from somebody. So it's a tough issue in that sense. There's a lot of risk that can occur without us even know about, knowing about it. Um, and one last point is, you know, keep in mind, I want to remind people about the importance of apparent conflicts can be just as damaging as an actual conflict, uh, particularly to the company's reputation, a person's uh, reputation, or their standing within the organization. So I always say this is really about, I mean, there are definitely legal consequences, collateral legal consequences that can occur, but the biggest probably harm that can occur is really damage to your culture and your reputation. It can impact your decision-making, obviously. We can have a lack of adequate justification for decisions. We can have people who circumvent controls. Obviously, your company's public image. Uh, and we can end up in violations of law, particularly when it comes to people dealing with government contracts. Uh, there are very extensive conflict of interest type regulations, certifications that are required, and you can get into trouble in those issues. Uh, and there are obviously, in dealing with the federal government and state governments, there are conflict of interest laws uh, as well. And then I mentioned earlier collateral litigation, particularly against uh, senior managers and board members. Um, so conflicts undermine the concept of trust in your uh, corporate culture, your commitment to integrity, um, and it means that sort of relatively routine business decisions like hiring, promotions, vendor selection can be questioned uh, with the presence of these conflicts. 
Um, and uh, it can also obviously uh, affect productivity and employee retention. I mean, there are situations that can get out of control in that sense, or if it's a big one uh, as well. So what are some of the common conflicts of interest that we see? Use of company information, um, you know, taking information that's proprietary, particularly in today's world where information is really valuable and uh, proprietary information is very uh, valuable. Customer information is very valuable. Uh, Outside employment uh, can lead to situations. Obviously, vendor relationships when they're, you know, I always love the classic case of a relative who runs a vendor who does business with the company and, uh, you know, the relative is sort of pushing that company. Um, Board service, which we'll talk a little bit more about, you know, in terms of uh, serving on other boards, um, financial interests in competitors, let's say, um, uh, use of company assets, family relationships, and of course, the classic one, which we're not going to spend too much time on, is gifts and hospitality, whether receipt or paying, obviously, there are conflicts of interest that come from that. And I want to sort of I've done training. We've done a lot of training on that. I've done webinars on that. It comes up in the anti-corruption context, which is usually the payment of gifts and hospitalities for foreign officials. But uh, keep in mind, we're also talking about uh, the conflicts of people giving gifts to your own people, particularly in procurement or in other sensitive areas uh, and and focus on uh, sort of the money issues. So how do we get at, how do we mitigate the risk? What's our overall plan? Um, and there are several techniques that we have, and we'll talk about um, first. Uh, we'll get to the risk assessment process because that's perhaps one of my uh, major points here is the importance of that. But I want to get at uh, sort of your basic elements, which include policies uh, and clearly articulated policies, training and communications about the importance of conflicts, the disclosure and approval system that you have, questionnaires that you may use and proactive inquiries, uh, oversight and auditing of the conflict of interest uh, process, procedures, compliance, all of that has to be, uh, those are all your strategies that are sort of part of your risk mitigation. Now, policies and procedures, I often say that um, unlike most policies and procedures, which are I tend to go towards the shorter side of things um, and trying to be succinct, um, here I would always include some common hypotheticals. And the reason I say that is, as a theoretical matter, you can read about it, but in, ter- but in terms of employees really understanding it, um, to me, the common hypotheticals that come up in your company if you include those within the policy so that if people do read it, they read those hypotheticals. Obviously, those would be part of any training program as well, but it's good, in my sense, is it's good to have certain hypotheticals about that. And you address the specific risk areas, working for business partners or competitors, family members of the company who are in the industry, personal use of company property for, let's say, an outside business interest, Uh, corporate opportunities, uh, board membership outside, financial interests, which may impact uh, this as your your employees as well. So I like the policies and procedures to be relatively short, but I also want it to uh, include some of those hypotheticals. 
Um, educating the board and senior management, um, and the way this is really important is to um, educate the board and senior management on the, their own risks, what other business opportunities they have, corporate opportunities, transactions with the company. Um, they have to, in a sense, monitor their own con- conflicts. Many companies I know uh, require uh, disclosures and attestations every six months. Um, that's one way of handling the higher risk. But there's, you know, to me, the more that you're in touch with them, talk to them, remind them about this issue, and we'll talk about uh, communications as well, um, it's, a, it's a really important issue, particularly at the senior management and board level. The other, in terms of getting the message out to within the company, the senior management communications, very important board and senior management have to lead by example. So there has to be regular communications about the importance of uh, ensuring that uh, you don't incur these conflicts. Um, We publicize compliance steps, publicize the annual uh, attestation and disclosure uh, and then if obviously there are changes that occur, remind people that they should, um, uh, you know, update uh, any disclosure as they go along during the year. Um, and we also have to make sure that our board and senior leaders are exemplary in their compliance with whatever program we have. So a lot of messaging and um, explaining the importance of conflict-free uh, operations Use what I said, very straightforward and common examples to make your points um, and reinforce the disclosure and approval process. Um, Even include, um, you know, frequently asked questions, you know, if you want to use that as opposed to sort of lacing in uh, your uh, your, um, uh, hypotheticals to the policies. Another important point to me is uh, automation. If we're not automated with the approval process and we're relying on paper, we're in real trouble. Um, There are plenty of technology platforms that are out there. As uh, I know I'll get on my high horse again about automation, the importance of it. But the new technology platforms improve risk mitigation strategies. Um, Just like third-party risk, we need to have uh, automation for gifts, meals, and entertainment. Um, in terms of managing that conflict risk as well as the disclosure, I mean, the attestation and disclosure process as well. Uh, there are plenty of products out there to do that, and, uh, and some include, obviously, training programs on that specific issue. So that's something else uh, to look at. Um, I want to back up just for a second, and normally we talk about risk assessment first, but really I wanted to go through what I consider how we categorize risks in the conflict of interest area. And to me, I look at sort of severe conflicts and minor conflicts. So what are severe conflicts? Severe conflicts are those that occur at a high level. So that means board members, senior managers, uh, country managers, to the extent you're a global company, let's say, and you still have a country manager type framework. Um, And any position that has any authority with regard to spending or use of money, um, procurement, any financial decision-making process that occurs, um, those people have to be sort of categorized in the potential for severe conflicts. 
Now, you can have a high risk or a low risk of a severe conflict, and that's so I break this up usually into four squares uh, in terms of a diagram. Minor conflicts, okay, once we get from severe to minor, we're talking about a lower individual impact on the organization. So, for example, uh, you know, an employee who serves on a community group that also buys our products or, you know, community uh, organization that buys our products, but we have an employee who serves on that. Hopefully it's disclosed. Um, you know, individual employees with outside employment or some type of interest where the individual impact may not may be minor, doesn't impact our spending, but combination, uh, but if we ignored them, they could be significant. In other words, if we had a lot of them. So minor conflicts in terms of those occurring, there's a high risk of a minor conflict and a low risk of a minor conflict that filling in my four squares. Uh, so again, start with severe conflicts. Who are the ones you're most worried about? And those should be the ones that you audit and, and uh, sort of monitor on an ongoing basis. It may be the minor conflicts you're going to feel comfortable with just saying, look, we'll rely upon the attestation process and if people bring them to us, that type of thing. Um, and speaking of which, with regard to the annual disclosures and certifications, one of the more difficult issues we run into is, is how far in the employee population do we go, uh, how low or how far across the organization for this annual requirement. It's, there's practical challenges with it. Um, and I tend, if you're automated and hopefully it works relatively well and, the, uh, the, and you know how many you're going to have to sort of review and the burden that can result from that, I would always tailor it to, uh, in a sense, what you really can handle. And uh, the broader it goes, the better, just because it's educational and there's a value to it. But on the other hand, you trade off how much time, how much effort, how much resources you have to put into this. So some people I've seen go you know, very far within the organization. Some people go uh, and stay in the high, like sort of mid-level and up for the annual disclosure and certification. But to me, the extent to which you identify potential risks and where these can occur, that will inform your decision uh, with regard to where you're going to go with annual disclosures. Okay. Uh, for auditing purposes, as you're using your auditing strategy, I want to look at high-risk uh, candidates, board members, senior management, those that uh, relate to um, uh, spending and financial, those who touch money or a lot of money. Uh, and then you may want to include in the high risk uh, the people who use a lot of uh, travel and entertainment expenses, uh, looking at them uh, as well. But, uh, you know, it depends on your risk profile. Um, routinely, we always want to ensure in our auditing process that people are complying with our policy, that they're following the attestation and disclosure process, that they're attending training and understanding it. Uh, and that there are consistent pre-approval determinations through an automated platform, and we're getting annual questionnaires and attestations and appropriate follow-up. So we want to make sure the program is working in that, in that sense. Now let's turn, if we can, to sort of the board level and senior management level, and I want to raise a few issues here. Evaluating outside board and advisory service roles is important. 
um, because directors and senior managers these days um, are basically serving in other types of boards or advisory services. So we see uh, directors and uh, and senior managers maybe serving on another public company board, another private company board, but more uh, more common I'm seeing are advisory boards with uh, that are cons- you know with the where they're almost like a consultant to the company and there may be potential for conflicts and then obviously in today's world where people are doing more good works and charitable works you often have um, senior managers who work on a nonprofit board or work with a nonprofit organization or board members who serve on nonprofit boards and these bring up uh, potential issues as well. What I found is that at the board level, it's very easy to get disclosure because they like to talk about all the things that they do. But the problem is that when you do identify conflicts and you need to put in uh, some mitigation strategies or some controls, uh, that's where board members and senior managers start to uh, you know resist a little bit. Um, but remember, the types of nonprofit boards we're talking about include like you know, uh, national charitable organizations like, you know, United Way, Boys and Girls Clubs, uh, social welfare organizations um, for social welfare causes, and, of course, trade associations, trade or business associations. These are all sort of nonprofits that people can serve on, but they obviously can raise issues. Um, Two last points. Uh, Sample questionnaires. was uh, you should have a good questionnaire for your board members, um, and um, you know what? Usually, when somebody discloses they're on another board, uh, is there a board offer letter or a service agreement? What's the tenure and length of the service? Is there compensation for serving on another board? Equity, benefits, travel, reimbursement. Uh, what are the travel and meeting commitments? Um, do they have any personal relationships with members who are uh, employed by the board's organization? In other words, does the company employ a partner or a spouse? Uh, for nonprofit organizations, has the company's, uh, the employee, let's say the board member's company made charitable contributions to the board's organization using company funds? Um, are there any company business ties to the board's organization? Um, And, uh, you know, we have to look at these types of things uh, to look at, let's say, the board governance documents, uh, the mission and vision of the organization that they may serve on, financial information, uh, and what business segment or product service information they are providing, and how does that relate to our business. Uh, A final word about advisory boards. Uh, and the growing trend of these advisory groups, councils, or boards. Um, These groups can exist for working groups, collaborative exchanges, or you may be a paid, you know, somebody could be a paid consultant to provide support to the board or the organizations. Um, While they may not impact the fiduciary duties of, let's say, a director on our board, They can present conflicts similar to those of an outside volunteer or a paid consultancy, an employment opportunity. Uh, So we have to be careful about competitor interactions. Confidential information disclosure is a big risk. 
time requirements that could compl- conflict with uh, the director's loyalty. Um, and so we, this needs to be addressed uh, carefully uh, because there often are multiple, you know, an individual board member may serve on several advisory boards within the industry, within the same industry or within uh, companies that are closely related to your own. So that's, that's sort of the uh, difficult issue. Well, that's just a quick overview of conflicts of interest. Um, Again, if you need some help in this area, we're more than happy to support you with the policies, procedures, uh, anything that you may need. Uh, And um, it's it's a tough issue for compliance officers, and um, particularly with the the higher level uh, officials at your company. So. Uh, thanks again. We'll be uh, we'll be back next week with another uh, podcast for you. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkoff Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. You can learn more about our commitment to effective ethics and compliance programs at our website, www.volkofflaw.com, our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our podcast series. And you can always contact me at my email address, mvolkoff at volkofflaw.com. Let us know how we can help you achieve your goals. Get back, ride, rail, get jail, jump, bail. Join the army, hit the bail. Look out, kids, you're going to get hit. By losers, cheaters, six-time users, hanging around the feeders. Girls by the whirlpools looking for a new fool. Don't follow leaders or watch your parking meters. Get born, keep on short pants, romance. Learn to dance, get dressed, get blessed. Tired of your success. Please her, please him. Buy gifts, don't steal, don't lift. Twenty years of schooling and they put you on the day shift. Look out, kids, they keep it all hit. Better jump down a manhole, like yourself a candle. Don't wear sandals, try to force the scandals. Don't wanna be a bum, you better chew gum. The pump don't work, cause the vandals took the handle.